Coming up, a conversation with author Alice Freiling on growing older, aging faithfully, and how unlearning old ways can help us grow in new ways. After the music. Welcome to the Upwards Podcast, an initiative of Upper House on the campus of University of Wisconsin-Madison. Through conversations with thinkers, scholars, and leaders, we explore the life of the mind and the questions of the soul to enrich our university, our community, and the church. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. I'm Dan on staff at Upper House and your host. And we at Upper House want to make sure to wish everyone listening a Merry Christmas and Advent season. This will be the last episode before the holiday, uh, but we'll be back with another episode right after the holiday on the 27th of December. For this episode, I'm delighted to be able to co-introduce it with my colleague at Upper House, Susan Smether Anderson, who's our communications director who talked in this episode with author Alice Freiling. So Susan, can you tell us a bit about our author? Sure. Alice is an absolute delight to talk with and listen to. She has long experience in spiritual direction, and many people might also be familiar with her work on the Enneagram. She wrote a book called Mirror for the Soul, and also wrote a book about spiritual direction called Seeking God Together. So Alice is a very well-respected author and leader. So the book we're talking about today is called Aging Faithfully, The Holy Invitation of Growing Older. Can you tell us a bit about the book? This book, very interestingly, grew out of Alice's own questions and her need to understand what it means to age, change, and continue to grow as a person of faith. She realized that there was a lot of nuances to aging that sometimes aren't written about, And as a result, she decided to write about them herself. So she really wanted to focus on the need to look at aging as an opportunity for growth and to continue to grow spiritually, especially. And she was wanting to resist the temptation to become solely preoccupied with losses associated with aging. So rather than losing, the question becomes, what are we gaining Or how are we growing? Or how are we deepening? Um, These are the kinds of questions Alice tackles. So in this podcast, you'll get a flavor of the book from our back and forth conversation. And sometimes this went in directions that I really didn't anticipate. And I enjoyed it immensely. I just learned so much talking with Alice and reading her book. So I hope what people come away with is an appreciation of what it means to age in the most positive way. And we'll talk about renewal, the shedding of the false self, and also the freedom we might experience as we unlearn old ways to grow into new ways. Great. Thank you, Susan. And I know we start with that unlearning question right off the bat. So now turning it over to Susan Smetzer Anderson and Alice Freiling for another Upwards conversation. So Alice, I'm really very curious about your thinking about the freedom that comes from unlearning old ways of doing things and embracing new ways of thinking about fruitfulness. Would you like to unpack that a little for us? Well, I'm excited about 
unlearning things. I mean, I, I worked yeah. most of my life trying to learn things, and I still am obviously trying to learn things, but um, unlearning really has brought a lot of freedom. Um, early on, when, when I was in high school and college and my young adult life, I struggled with a lot of depression, and I think that came from some of the things I needed to unlearn. Um, but even more, after I, I think I was, I mean, I know I've been healed from depression, and then I moved right into a period of life that I think of as my driven life. And so for most of my midlife years, um, I was just driven. I'd look at the calendar and I'd say, oh, there's a space, I can put something in there. And um, looking back, I think I was driven by my desire to serve God for sure. But really mixed in with that was my ego and my wanting to impress people. And I never could have said that then. And I don't, in a sense, I don't even judge myself for it now. I mean, our ego and our spirits are so close together. It's really hard to distinguish. And as I've gotten older, I don't have the same amount of energy. I don't have the opportunities. So many things have changed. I just, I can't be like that anymore. I mean, of course, so that brings me a lot of freedom. I'm not depressed and I'm not driven. I mean, that's a good, good, really good thing. And I, I feel like in this season of life, I have the opportunity to be content and to be at peace with God. Total, it's such a surprise to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the ways that I've described that in the book is I'm experiencing the difference between productivity and fruitfulness. I mean, I still... I want to do things, writing the book was a productive experience, Um, but I'm not driven to be productive. And my focus is much more um, on what it means to see the fruits of the spirit in my life by God's grace. I mean, we, we do productive things, but we receive the fruits of the spirit. And I think, at least for me, there's always this sense of like, wow, where did that come from? I mean, I even have a sense of, you know, why does Susan like my book? Where did that come from? Um, and it came from, from the Holy Spirit, from the fruits of the Spirit. So the difference between productivity and fruitfulness is partly activity, but it's probably even more focus. So do you think the two are mutually exclusive? No, that's a really, oh no, that's such a good mm-hmm. question. As we grow more and more sensitive to our spiritual life, I think we, we can tell when it comes from a different place. Mm. Um, I mean, even this morning, as I was anticipating the podcast, I found myself in my default prayer vocabulary. And it was sort of along the line of, you know, oh, God, help me to do a good job. Help me to present the book well. Help me not to forget anything. And then just in a moment of quiet, I thought, you know what I really want? is I want to be able to help the spirit say whatever the spirit wants to say to all of us, you and me, and to the people who are listening. And that's a whole different focus. And I don't think I would have gotten there if I were still as, if I still had as much energy and maybe even as capable as I was when I was 45 or 50. I totally identify with what you're saying. I, I've noticed a change in myself as well because there's this part of me that still wants people to be impressed by my competence. 
Um, but I also realize that my competence is somewhat of a myth, if you will. I've created to help myself feel good about myself. Yes. And there's ways that we ascribe to ourselves our worth. And for me, it was doing well at work, doing well at school, trying to, you know, keep everybody happy around. That's very important. (laughs) Yeah, that's very important. And as I've aged, um, I've become more aware that in some ways I fooled myself a little bit into thinking that those things that I've worked so hard at um, to be impressive or whatever are effective. I'm not really sure they are. I wonder if I've missed opportunities to be present to people because I was working so hard to be, as you put it, productive. So I appreciate your distinction between productivity and fruitfulness. I think it's a, um, it is a high risk that maybe we didn't do things as well as we thought we did, or we should have been doing other things, but God is so gracious Mm -hmm. and, you know, he, he knew who I was when I was depressed and he knew who I was when I was driven. And I think maybe the difference in this season of life is that I'm just discovering who I am without all the trimmings. Let me read a verse that I love, 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 love. Okay. So (laughs) early on when I was in high school, um, my sister had become a Christian and I didn't know what she was talking about, but I thought this is something I should do. So I was reading the Bible and I came across Galatians 2.20. For I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And that was a turning point for me. I mean, it was King James. I'm not sure I understood what it meant. But listen to what this verse says in the message. It just astounds me. Paul said, I tried keeping rules and working my head off to please God, and it didn't work. I have been crucified with Christ. My ego is no longer central. It is no longer that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion. I am no longer driven to impress God. Christ lives in me. Wow, that is so powerful. When would I have heard as a younger person, I'm no longer driven to impress God? Of course I am. Mm -hmm. But now I say, God, I just don't feel very impressive today. Uh (laughs) And that's working. That's fine. What struck me in reading your book is you have this place where you talk about being born again as an older person. And as I was reading that I was reminded of the scriptures where Jesus tells the disciples, let the little children come to me. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. And please don't prevent them from coming to me. And he's very firm with them. And I was struck by how, in fact, we are always in this process of discovery and we are always, even as we're aging, feeling our, sense of being young. I mean, I'm 59, yes, but I still sometimes have my 14-year-old moments, right? Or my moments where I feel um, immature or delighting like a child in the rain or just those moments that capture me. And I'm like, I'm still a young child. Yeah, and and Jesus so is beautiful. still wanting to welcome me 
into his presence and to bless me. And so as I was reading that segment of your book that talked about being born again and being an infant in some ways in this new stage of life that is older and that you're still in this growth process, I I just was reflecting on the fact that Jesus is still welcoming us. Yeah, I was just thinking about Jesus and the children the other day. I, I, I love that picture and I think I feel like a young person, and then I also feel the um, vulnerability of a newborn baby a lot of times, mm-hmm. um, because I never have gotten old before. So this is very new to me. One I of the things that. that's great about the literature for mothers of newborns is that apparently babies hear perfectly when they're born, that their hearing, you know, the, the ear canal is, mm-hmm. is developed before the rest of the body. So I think, okay, well, that I can take that. That's good. My hearing may not be great, but I want spiritual hearing. And I think that has become a, a little sharper as I've gotten older. That's wonderful. That's a wonderful thing for me to look forward to. <laughs> <laughs> so you say in one passage of your book that the aging process invites us to let go of false ways of looking at ourselves. And I think we've already talked about that a little bit. Um, not only looking at ourselves, but giving up false ways to look at others and even our own faith practices. So can you elaborate on that a little bit more? Well, let me just say a little bit about the false self and the true self so that we're, you know, so that just to clarify those terms a little bit. I know it's a, you know, it's an oversimplification, but they're very helpful terms to me. The false self is really, um, well, it's the ego-driven self, but spiritually, it's the person we think we should be and we're probably not. Um, It's the person we wish we were and we may never be. Um, The true self is the person full of everything that we need, that we were born with, not in the maturity of all of those parts of us, but the true self has really received the gifts that God has created us to have. Um, So it's a big difference, and I think we'll spend the rest of our lives, me as an older person, the rest of my life, unpacking that. Um, The false self does grow old with us, and I, that was another thing that kind of prompted me to write the book because I was meeting older people who were, there are a lot of sadnesses and we have to grieve a lot of losses, but there, I, I was meeting older people who wouldn't let go of, oh, like being on the elder board at church. And maybe they'd already served 12, 15 years on the elder board at church. I'm not thinking of that in particular, using, just using that as an example, but they couldn't give it up because they didn't think other people were leading as well as they could lead. Um, and leading was leading in the church was a ministry that they had. And so it was hard to let go. So all of that, it, it, all of those perspectives feed in to each individual's experience. Um, so I can give you two examples for me of letting go. One is the discipline of irresponsibility that I had to learn <laughs> that when we moved to Colorado and I was living closer to my daughter and in a new church and in a new neighborhood, um, you know, I came in with a blank slate of places where I needed to be responsible. And my false self is very, very responsible. 
So my false self moved to Colorado too. So I'm thinking <laughs> I need to do all of these things, but I don't have as much energy and, you know, God help me. And I did have a sense that the Holy Spirit was nudging me to start practicing the discipline of irresponsibility. And when I did that, it meant that um, I didn't say yes to every request, um, even for my grandchildren. I mean, that's a hard one. Not for my church and not from inside me. And I started noticing when I was pushing myself beyond my capacity, I, my mind, I was saying I was spending money that I didn't have in the bank. And so exercising the, the discipline of irresponsibility meant lying down on the sofa and reading a book. And I joked that it's not even a Christian book, just a really good novel. <laughs> I think that sounds heavenly. <laughs> You can do it too. You don't. Oh, I'm planning on it. Yes. I'm going to say a spiritual director told me this is a discipline I need to cultivate. (laughs) And I would have to. It's, I mean, these are really, really subtle, difficult issues. Mm -hmm. And that's why for me, I needed to give it a name that kind of shocked me. Mm -hmm. Um, And at one point I was thinking about the apostle Peter and his dream or vision when the, in the dream, a sheep came down with all kinds of animals that he wasn't supposed to eat. And God in the dream said, kill and eat. And Peter's response was, I mean, he said, literally, surely not, Lord, surely not. I have never done something like that before. And that would be the way I felt about the discipline of irresponsibility. There are other things that I've let go of that I welcome more. And one of the things that kind of surprised me. I read scripture differently. I mean, I grew up as a Christian in InterVarsity, and I am forever grateful for the hundreds and probably thousands of inductive Bible Bible studies I was in. Um, And then the, the theology books that I read and the commentaries that I went to. And maybe if I hadn't had that experience, I couldn't do this now, but now I read one verse a day. I mean, I'm lucky if I read one verse a day. Um, And it's usually a verse, I mean, often there are things that I memorized as a child, and I can tell it because I know them in King James. Uh And then I look them up in different translations. I love the message. And so like the verse that I read from Galatians 2.20, that would have been a feast for me for a whole week at least. So I I don't feel like I have to read a book in the Bible from the beginning to the end. I mean, it's a good idea, and I did do that. But now, I, I well, what I say is I don't multitask in my scripture reading. I just zero in on one or two verses, and that's quite a change for me. I've let go of my need to be a Bible scholar, and the trade-off has been um, really the whispers of the Spirit to my spirit. I'm fascinated by that. First, when I read in your book that you had memorized this Galatian pa- Galatians passage in the King James Version, I got a little tickled because, yes, you do go on to quote the message version of the Bible in your book quite a bit. And I thought, Alice is still growing in the way she reads scripture. That was obvious. You modeled that in the book. 
And you delight in the everyday language that Eugene Peterson uses in the message. And it has actually been very helpful for me to read different translations of the Bible because I do see different things than I would if I just stuck to one way of reading. But what strikes me also is that we can be very driven even in how we approach our spirituality in our reading. Mm -hmm. And if we are measuring our progress based on whether or not we read the Bible in a certain amount of time or whether or not we cover a number of chapters per week, how much are we missing out on that opportunity to just chew on something and really draw as much nourishment from it as possible. So in your book, you also um, talk about Lectio Divina, if I'm saying that correctly. And um, the value of using this practice of, of scripture reading. And I wonder if you'd like to just discuss that briefly with us. Well, you can become compulsive even about doing Lexio Divina. Well, I didn't do it according to the six steps or the five steps, whatever I read. To me, the concept of Lexio is very much focusing in on the simplicity of what the Spirit is whispering to my spirit. I mean, at the end of his life, Jesus said to his disciples, I have so many more things I want to say to you, but it's more than you can bear right now. And when the Holy Spirit comes, he will reveal truth to you. And that would describe this season of life for me. I'm hearing things and noticing things that in my younger years, I either couldn't bear or I couldn't understand. So to me, Lexio, um, I mean, the, the classic definition is that you read a very short passage once or twice, preferably once out loud, and that's good to do. And then you notice what catches your attention, either a word or a phrase. And then you spend time just sitting in quiet, musing on the phrase or letting the phrase speak to you. And usually the recommendation is then you, you look at how does this apply to your life right now? And, you know, how I would probably say, how would you like to ask God to transform you? But Sometimes I even don't go there because I don't like to make a lot of suggestions to God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, and another piece of this, which also there, there is Lexio Divina applied to artwork, which is lovely. Um, and I think I've applied that way of relating to God into, in nature. Mm-hmm. In my book, I didn't know I was going to do this, but I have a lot of nature images. <laughs> and all nature declares the glory of God without words. And so I, I can sit in my study here and look out. We have, you know, a lot of green trees and blue skies and clouds and mountains outside my, <laughs> right outside my study door. And sometime the other day I was just sitting there watching a big bird um, fly over the pine trees. And I thought of, you shall mount up with wings as eagles, run and not be weary and walk and not faint. And I thought, that sort of describes every season of life in different ways. And then I noticed that I was kind of disappointed because the big bird I was watching turned out to be a hawk, which wasn't too interesting. And the Bible said eagles. <laughs> so I was a little, <laughs> a little disappointed. So I just sat there for a little while and all of a sudden an eagle flew over the trees. Oh, you're kidding. And that was just, it was sort of a little serendipity gift for, gift to me. Yeah. And I want to notice, 
those special gifts, but I also just want to notice the leaves falling off the trees, if that's it. I mean, nature does declare the glory of God, and I think we can we can read Lexio Divina. We can do a divine reading as we look at nature, too. I think you're absolutely right. Well, I'm going to change topics just a little bit, and we use the word retirement maybe once or twice a little earlier, but you have a pretty nuanced view of retirement. And I wonder if you could share that with us. Um, because I remember when my dad retired, for example, that that was a real jolt to his um, system and his sense of identity. And I think you have some healthy observations about what retirement means. Well, first of all, let me say, I didn't think that I would be retiring. And so I was kind of surprised that I did retire. As I aged, I kind of had to say, okay, I'm retiring from a lot of things. But Bob was the one who really retired. He'd been with InterVarsity for over 50 years. And coming up to retirement, it took him two or three years to decide this is the time. And then two or three years after he retired, to agree with himself about that, because <laughs> lots of losses. Um, mm. And we were still living in Chicago at the time. And there was, it was actually a tree that really helped us and describes what I think Bob's experience was. There was a tree right outside his study window. It was a pear tree. And it was always the last one to drop the leaves in the fall. But the year he retired, the tree didn't drop its leaves until February. I mean, it was really a long time. And we both thought that the dead leaves on the tree were kind of like dead leaves in Bob's life. And then I went out and took pictures of the tree at every season. And eventually the leaves did all fall off and it seemed like Bob's soul felt bare, like the tree. And then in the spring, it blossomed. It's a pear tree, so the gorgeous white blossoms. And I thought, well, that's really good. That's a promise for retirement. But then the, green, the white blossoms grew into green leaves, or the tree grew green leaves. And they seemed so, so such a lovely image of retirement that Bob's life would not stay bare. I mean, it did. It was bare. And he, had, he spent a lot of time grieving that. But there, well, this one of the Psalms, I think it's Psalm 92, says that um, we will be like trees and the sap still runs or something like that in, all, in our old age and the sap still runs. And those green leaves, I mean, it didn't mean that we were saps. It just meant that God's life was still flowing in us. Right. And I guess I can, I can also say in the years since then, Bob's life in my life, but Bob's life thinking of that has just turned into something so much more fruitful than we ever, ever could have imagined. I mean, we just laugh. We say we had no clue what we were getting into. Can you give me an example? Well, one of the, one of the examples that I think Bob would mention, you know, he used to run a company, you know, IVP, with a huge, huge, huge budget. Um, and now the the most regular thing he does in his life is go and pick up our granddaughter at school. And he comes back and he just says, Oh, you know, Elizabeth was saying this and was saying that. And, and both of us spend a lot of time listening to Elizabeth mm -hmm. and, and it just brings us such joy. Bob happens to be, he's the president of our HOA in our neighborhood. So he's using all of his budget 
intelligence and his leadership in that context, which I remember hearing before we moved here and as we were anticipating retirement years, people were talking about, oh, you can find all these things to do. And I thought, yeah, that doesn't sound like very much fun. But now that I see Bob doing this, and I think he's using the same gifts in a way that is hugely important to the people in our HOA. So he, he has too much to do. Um, so that's another issue. But mm-hmm. neither one of us is bored, and that was something we worried about. <laughs> that's really a good point, that you are not bored, and you are seeing real fruit in your relationships, in your community, and the relationship with your granddaughter. I just think that is so delightful. And earlier you mentioned the fruits of the spirit, and we actually didn't name the fruits of the spirit, but one of them is joy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. What a gift. Well, I wanted to also think out loud with you about um, our bodies, our physical bodies, because clearly as we age, our bodies show that they're changing and um, we may not be as strong as we once were, for example. But you have some really interesting observations in your book, um, among other things that kind of took me off guard too, about the brain-gut connection. Um, You talk about the vagus nerve and how it works. And all of this is all very presented in a very understandable way. And I really enjoyed what you had to share but you also discuss the soul body connection, if you will. And you think out loud about paying attention to our breath and singing and making music and meditating. So as a person who's contemplating these things, what do you think their value is to us? And why do you think God gave us these gifts? The gifts of... Just the gifts of of our body in a way. I think sometimes we compartmentalize our lives. I'm not saying this very well, Alice, so I'll probably come back to it. But, you know, if we were to think about the soul body connection and taking care of both our soul and our body, what do we need to be paying attention to? Oh, I mean, that's a, that's a great question. And of course it's complicated. If it weren't complicated, we'd, you know, have a little, formula for it. And let me say that I think probably someone in the medical field would answer very differently. I mean, I am not, I'm not trying to give a medical description of what's going on in our nervous system. But that said, um, it was very comforting to me to learn about the vagus nerve, which I actually learned about from a column in the New York Times written by David Brooks. So I didn't learn about it from a medical book. Um, But apparently the vagus nerve It's one of the longest nerves in the body, and it goes from our brain all the way down to our gut, and it connects with all of our organs, you know, digestion, heart. I mean, everything that goes on, it sounds like to me, everything that goes on is somehow interpreted and sent back to our brain by the vagus nerve. So that's really very sobering and comforting, because one of the things that happens as we get older is a huge piece of denial. You know, like, well, I used to be able to work 12 hours a day when I was 40, you know, work counting when you come home and you do all this stuff. So what's wrong with me now? And I used to be able to put things on my calendar and pack the calendar 
and I can't do that anymore. So someone told me one time, I said, I, I climbed up a bunch of stairs in a really old building near her for an, apart, um, an appointment, and I just kind of was huffing and puffing. And I, I said to the receptionist, Ooh, that was a long way up. I've never gotten old before. I don't know. And she said, well, you just have to put your mind to it and keep going. And that's pretty much, she was summarizing pretty much what we think. So getting into what you're saying about there's the brain gut connection and then there's the body soul connection. And, you know, God made us with a vagus nerve. This apparently was all part of God's plan. So if we're not listening to what our gut is saying to us, if we're contradicting it, I guess I could at least say we're contradicting something that God gave us to learn. We're contradicting the information that God is giving us through our vagus nerve. But what was so exciting to me was I actually came across an article called um, something about taking, taking care of your vagus nerve for seniors. And I thought, apparently the vagus nerve, other people knew about that a lot longer <laughs> before I did. So he was saying, what improves our vagal tone is deep breathing, music, and meditation. And I just thought, that's what's good for our souls at the same time. So if I sit down in the morning, and I do do this, I do a lot of deep breathing. I don't have to be thinking about, you know, sometimes there are deep breathing disciplines, and, and I'm, I'm just not real good with that, but if they work, that's great. I will just sometimes sit and breathe really deeply, and I think this is a gift from God that is also improving my vagal tone, whatever that is, and music is different for all of us, but um, I, I love the music of an Australian vocalist, Monica Brown, and she often sings scripture. And her music just quiets my soul. Um, and for other people, well, for Bob, classical music does. And I'm sure for some people, Sunday morning worship music does. Uh, and then meditation. So for me, meditation at one time, that meant reading the whole book of the Bible. And now meditation means something different. I think you're right. We can part. We can part mentalize, but it's not an either or. It's like this is so holistic. Mm -hmm. And I think it really helps to have these conversations where somebody who has these types of insights can get together with somebody else who's maybe got a different set of insights. And when they come together, and this is what we do ideally in community and in the body of Christ. When we come together, we can have more wisdom, more shared wisdom among us and encourage one another. And I think that's what you've done in your book is you've drawn on different resources and helped compile them. So some of us who are hungry for this kind of insight can be blessed and grow and feel reassured that there are things that we can do to take care of our bodies and at the same time feel a sense of God's presence because he is working in us and within us through these practices to reassure and to build us up. But I'm just so thankful that you have drawn these things together in your work. I, I think it is actually going to be very helpful. I know to me personally, and 
I can't wait to share it with my mom too, because I know for sure that she can breathe. <laughs> that's, well, that's, that's an area she's it. got down. <laughs> do she doesn't like to exercise like her daughter, but she definitely could do the breathing part pretty well. <laughs> so you have a lovely story in your book about an older woman who came up to you after you spoke at a church gathering. And this, you said, was in your 60s. And in your book, you write, she must have been 90 years old with white hair and a curved spine. And she looked up at me and said, I am just so scared. So at the time, you say you really weren't sure what she meant, but now you do. And you wrote, now I know that this 90-year-old friend was brave enough to express what most of us keep hidden. As we age, we come face to face with fear in a way most of us have not known earlier in our lives. Our fears, in fact, might multiply and intensify as we get older. We fear experiencing more and more losses. We may fear illness and financial loss. We probably fear becoming vulnerable. And all of this is very personal, but it's common, which raises the question, how can we live well with our fears? And how do we find peace? Just as you were talking, what popped into my mind was I think we had a little have a, have had a little bit of a dry run with this with the COVID mm-hmm. pandemic, mm-hmm. Um, and I think even younger people had to face their fears, their fears of I mean, ultimately of death, as we hear you know so much on the news, but also our fear of losing our entitlement to go out to dinner or you know whatever it is. So. As, as the pandemic at its height, I know I, I was surprised when I would feel very unsettled as I sat down to be quiet in the morning. And then I realized I was unsettled because I was so afraid of all these germs out there waiting to attack me. Mm. And I'm not, I'm, that's not one of my issues that I ever had to face before. But there were some mornings where I just would have to sit and, and I, I didn't even ask God to take away my fears. I just said, God, I am just scared. I'm, you know, I'm scared I'm going to get COVID. And I'm scared I may not be here to see my grandchildren grow up. And those are they're pretty realistic fears. It's not just fears down the road. But addressing those fears also speaks to, I think, the ultimate fear of death. And apparently we're going to be dealing with this the rest of our lives. I mean, Mm -hmm. we can't be really blasé about that. I love it when people allow me to be vulnerable. I mean, I think that's one of the things that happens in a spiritual direction relationship that we can just say, you know, this is something I'm dealing with. I don't agree with myself. I mean, You know, I've talked with people who say, oh, no, it doesn't bother me. I just trust God. And that's a really good thing to do. But there's, I trust God, but I still am afraid. Mm -hmm. And different people are afraid of different things. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people, older people are afraid of being considered useless. Mm -hmm. You know, he's just a useless old man. I mean, that's just a horrible thing to say. And so we have to kind of unpack and name our fears or we're afraid of being alone. Um, And I I do that a little bit in the book. I probably didn't go into that too much because I 
was focusing a little more on younger people who were still in their 70s and maybe not facing that fear as much. Mm. But the more we can help people verbalize what they're experiencing, I think the more we can help them be freed to a certain extent from the, the heaviness, the yoke of it. I do think transparency is a real gift we can offer each other. Maybe it diffuses fear a little bit if we actually speak it out loud and then yes. we realize yeah. that it doesn't have to strangle us as much as it sometimes does. Or we have a fear that every that is commonly held and our sense of isolation in dealing with that fear can be mitigated. That's a gift that we all can give to our older friends or you who are younger to your parents. Um, I think when we let people be of the authority, just talking about aging, I'm not talking about the pandemic or fear in general here, but when we let people be the authority on their own aging experience, I think we're honoring them. Mm. I mean, quite frankly, I just hate it when somebody says, you know, well, you don't look that old, just count your blessings. I mean, I think I I do count my blessings and I know my hair isn't gray, but this hurts today. Mm -hmm. And if someone, I mean, that's what we do is we comfort each other, not with the answers, but with the camaraderie of, Mm -hmm. I hear you and I know that's probably hard. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the older we get, in a sense, I think the more medical our questions are and One of the books that was very helpful to me is a book called Being Mortal by Atul Gwandi. I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but he is a doctor and he walked with his father through his father's death. And he talks about the questions that he asked his father. And he said, you know, things like, what's most important to you? Um, You know, do you want to be on a ventilator? Those kinds of questions. And he said it was the hardest conversation he's ever had in his life but they all felt freer afterwards. I read that and I really appreciated it. When my father was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, we um, had some conversations that kind of startled me and revealed to me that my father was really not only afraid of the nursing home experience that he anticipated, I think he was really afraid of not being in control and feeling useless, like you said, And I said to him when we talked that to me, it was an honor to be able to share his life with him and to be with him as he goes through all of that, because I love him and I wanted to be present to him. Yeah, that's wonderful. And I think that's, it was absolutely the truth. And I saw my father actually die a very, very dignified death. And it was beautiful to be able to see him still be, in a sense, himself at his core. And I, yeah, and I think Alzheimer's is a very threatening disease, as is Parkinson's and other degenerative diseases. But I think if we are honest with ourselves, we're all going at some point to need somebody with us. Mm -hmm. And having the gift of companioning, as you put it in your book, Mm -hmm. is um, invaluable 
to be able to be a companion with other people on their life journey. And even in like the extended communities that we live in, because we need to learn how to do that. And eventually we're going to need to learn how to receive it. I have a lot of questions I want to ask you. Oh yeah. <laughs> we turn the, turn the podcast around. Yeah, right. but <laughs> I don't think our listeners would appreciate that too much. Maybe. <laughs> well, one, oh goodness, you, you push my spiritual direction buttons and my, my own computer screen is lighting up here. Uh-huh. You, you did things that I think you're glad you did. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I wondered if any specifics come to mind of what you're glad you did with your dad. You know, actually just having some conversations with him, even when he had Alzheimer's and just to be able to hear him talk about his life before he was too far oh, along and didn't neat. remember. That's wonderful. Yeah. yeah. And I have a video that I have interviewed him on video hmm. about his life and I still need to look at that video, but it was such a gift. And the other thing I did, and this may sound a little bit um, macabre or scary to some people, is when he was um, in hospice and no longer very responsive, but you could tell he could still hear, because my understanding is that hearing is the last capacity to go and you you said we were born right fully formed ears and supposedly he was still able to hear us um I wrote his obituary and I read it to him oh that's so neat and yeah it was really neat and and I could tell he could hear it and there was a little smile on his face and I think that moment of just intimacy with him it was just him and me I was blessed by it and hopefully he was too. Yeah. That's wonderful. um, Alice, I I do want to talk to you a little bit um, in the same vein about listening and you are such a good listener and it's partly what makes you such a good spiritual director. Can you just um, think out loud a little bit about how listening is a gift that children can give to their parents? Well, let me tell you one of the things that I experienced when I first started out in spiritual direction. I mean, I was typically very nervous and who do I think I am doing this, you know, that kind of thing. But after I'd been meeting with people many times, I mean, spiritual direction is a long-term relationship. So maybe even if I've been meeting with people for as long as a year, I said to Bob, I can't figure this out. I just, I feel like I'm watching people be healed. And I, I didn't have any other way of saying it. And then I read somewhere that when we listen to people, we love them and love heals. So if you're talking about listening to a much older parent um, or even a dying parent, we still want healing. And I think the healing that comes through listening, because we are loving people, it is still healing at any season of life. And you can almost feel it when somebody really listens to you, even if they don't get it, they don't understand what you're saying. I don't always understand what I'm saying, Mm -hmm. but if they're really listening, there's a freedom in our spirits Mm -hmm. and we know that we have been listened to. I think there's a lot of truth in that. I think it's when we know that we are seen or more of who we are. I, I think that's an interesting combination, the listening 
enables a certain type of more authentic seeing. Yes. So we do change when we are listened to. I agree with that. So Alice, at the end of your book, um, you also include the questions that you asked other people as you were researching it, essentially. And I really appreciated the fact that you include as appendices the types of questions that you asked others um, as you were in the journey of understanding. So I just wonder if there's anything you want to add at this point about what you've learned and what would you like people to take away from our conversation today? Well, I'll respond to the appendices part first. I asked um, midlife people, adult, adult children of older people, what they wish their parents knew about them now. Um, and I asked their parents, what do you wish your adult children knew about you? And I also broadened the questions to single people because that's, that's so mm-hmm. important. I mean, what do you wish your married friends knew about you as you age? And the main thing that I heard back, I mean, I did this all by email, but there's just, there was a theme of, I wish my parents would accept me as I am now. And the parents saying, I wish my children would accept me as I am now. Uh, and it, 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 was, it was very helpful to me. I'm glad to know that, you know, that piece was helpful to you. Oh, very. Um, I think in answer to your question, what do I wish people knew, I I'm finding in myself an increasing passion to redefine or reframe aging as a very vibrant, fruitful, if you will, time in our lives. And the more intentional we can be about knowing ourselves and bringing ourselves authentically into God's presence. I mean, transformation just goes on and on. I think it will go on apparently forever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I really do want to start looking at aging as a time to hear God's invitations to us. That came through very clearly in your book. <laughs> I, I actually, to be honest, this is a book and I'm not, I'm not talking it up for the sake of talking it up. I am actually really sincere in saying that it has points in it that I really need to chew on personally and realize that fruitfulness is something that I want to aspire to more in my life. And that does require me to sit and have the discipline of irresponsibility on occasion, but also to focus on the things that matter to God and less that matters to in my long to-do list. And I appreciated the way you bring forward truths that I think are relevant to anybody, regardless of their age. I hope so. Thank you. Yeah. No, it's a real joy. I'm so glad that I had a chance to talk with you and deeply appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. All right. Bless you. Thank you. The Upwards podcast is supported by the Stephen and Laurel Brown Foundation. It is produced at Upper House in Madison, Wisconsin. Music by Micah Bear, audio engineering by Andy Johnson, and graphic design by Madeline Ramsey. Follow us on social media, including Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn with the handle at Upper House UW.